1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash Show.
0: everything you need to fight the trump administration this is the bill press show live
1: at youtube.com slash the bill press show well we're not going to shut down the government this week say republicans we're going to wait two more weeks to do it (laughs) how cynical can you get hello everybody what do you say it is a big tuesday Tuesday, December 4, and here we are together again. Great to see you. Great to be with you. Great to hang out with you for the next two hours to take a look at the news of the day every way we can uh, and to slice it and dice it and give you a chance to comment on what it all means to you. Wherever it's happening here in Washington, D.C., which is where we start out, our little studio here on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building, the Library of Congress, the Supreme Court, all oh, we could reach out and touch them almost. Uh, we bring you the news of the day from Washington, from around the country, and around the globe uh, uh, with the help of our expert guests and also with your help as well. Uh, things are slowing down this week to um, pay honor and tribute to the 41st President of the United States, Uh, But still, things didn't exactly stop in their tracks. It certainly didn't stop Donald Trump from tweeting a lot of ugly stuff yesterday. Uh, Somebody forgot to tell him that uh, you're supposed to hit the pause button this week, I guess. Whatever. Our job is to tell you what's going on. We will do so with gusto uh, starting in just a minute. And you tell us what you think about it all. You know how to do so. Go Go on Twitter. Send us your comments on Twitter. At BP show, at BP show, we jump right in. But first, this
0: is the full
1: court press.
0: Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, you want to get some exercise this morning? Don't do it. What do you mean? Don't I worry. Walk,
1: walk to the studio. That's,
0: that's fair. You did. That's walk. it
1: for today. Well, here's I the thing. I gotta walk home.
0: Wasted energy, my man. You didn't no. even have to do that because there is a new study that says if you want to get do something really, really healthy for your body. Don't worry about going for a long run. Don't worry about going to the weight. You go to the gym to hit the weights. All you need to do is take a nice hot bath. That's it. That's all they say. This is new research that says that a running a long hot bath and, let, and letting yourself soak in it for an hour could oh help more, which is a long time.
1: Right? Yeah. Yeah. Run.
0: Uh, that will help you ward off diabetes and other things. They say it's good <laughs> for your joints. No, but it's good well, for your
1: muscles. But doesn't mean you're going to lose weight.
0: It's good for your health, though. It's good for your health. Mm. Mm. Look, it sounds. What about like a cra- shower? It sounds like cr- no. That's the they, they actually make that point. A shower is totally different because you have to actually soak your body, submerge your body in the hot water, and let it work its magic. Bill, it sounds like crackpot science to me. But I'm just here to report. You decide.
1: Uh, so who did this study? Uh, did, it, uh, well, here's the one. Did my tax dollars pay for this study?
0: I cannot confirm or deny that. I cannot confirm
1: or deny uh, that. I bet they did.
0: There's your money I at work. I bet they Bill. did. There's your money at work. Bill, this is a story that's going to break your heart. USA Today has a uh, had a piece up yesterday that talked all about how the uh, historic architecture in Havana is just collapsing. It's all falling apart. And the it's problem is, sad. we were, with the, what Barack Obama did by loosening up some of the regulations against uh, Cuba, we were able to go in there and sort of help preserve some of this, restore some of this, obviously build some new stuff as well, but we're essentially not going back there at all. And so there's nobody there. They're not, they're not really working that hard to preserve it or anything like that. So... You know, bubble, it's a bubble. beautiful,
1: beautiful city, and some parts of Havana, the historic parts of Havana, old Havana, are remarkably, have been so beautifully restored. Yeah. But... A lot of it is not, and a lot of it is just, particularly along the waterfront, is just crumbling, crumbling, and it's too late to save some of it. That's
0: kind of what the article says, and I hate to say it, that a lot of this stuff is just too far gone, and there's just nobody there to really help them out, because, again, they've been so isolated from the world.
1: When you see these buildings, and you can imagine what they were in all of their glory, it was just absolutely spectacular waterfront there in Havana. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, 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 what do you say? uh, In memory and in honor of President George H.W. Bush, this was supposed to be a kinder, gentler week in Washington, but somebody forgot to tell Donald Trump. (laughs) He was tweeting away like mad yesterday, some pretty ugly stuff. What do you say, everybody? Here we go. On a Tuesday, Tuesday, December 4, it is The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., As always, our nation's capital, of course, and our show from Washington, as always, Uh, and reaching out to you all across this great land of ours, wherever you happen to be, here in the United States of America, actually not just here, but around the country, around the globe, Uh, we're coming to you online, on the radio, and on television with all the news of the day. Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. The Bill Press Show online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. The Bill Press Show on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and uh, in Chicago and the greater Chicago area. Hello, hello, Chicago on WCPT and on television nationwide all the way from San Diego to Kennebunkport, Maine. Here we are on Free Speech TV. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you. Big stories we're covering today. Yes, indeed, Donald Trump on another tweet storm yesterday, lashing out at Michael Cohen and Robert Mueller and praising um, Roger Stone. Uh, We'll tell you uh, the contrast between those. Uh, Donald Trump also, uh, Republicans also rather, uh, deciding that it would not be appropriate to shut down the government this week and so rather than say, we just won't do it at all, let's say, no, 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 we're going to delay it for two weeks, and then we'll probably shut it down. They say they will if Donald Trump doesn't get his money for the wall. Uh, and again, uh, a lot of Washington's official business uh, put on hold this week while now the body of the former president, uh, George H.W. Bush lies in state in the, in, the, in the rotunda of the United States Capitol, where it will remain uh, today and tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, and leaves there to go to the National Cathedral for the uh, service at the National Cathedral, um, where um, former President George W. Bush, his son, will deliver one of the main eulogies there at 11 a.m. on Wednesday. Um, if those of you follow me on Twitter... No, I went down to the Capitol yesterday. Um, one thing we Americans do, we do um, funerals and state ceremonies with great, great class. Uh, and watching, watching the official party arrive at the United States Capitol yesterday, uh, and uh, the Marine and the Navy, all the armed forces, uh, honor guard there uh, to carry uh, escort and then to carry the casket of former President uh, Bush up the steps of the Capitol, east steps of the Capitol, into the Capitol Rotunda, a very moving site indeed. Uh, again, tweeted a couple of pictures of that out uh, yesterday. Uh, and meanwhile, what was Donald Trump up to? Tweeting away like crazy. So let's get this in context, okay? First of all, he goes out after Michael Cohen again, all right? Now, remember, Michael Cohen is no stranger, okay? I keep, uh, Michael Cohen, you, there was nobody, nobody closer to Donald Trump maybe his son, but I doubt it because Michael Cohen, like I'm right here, right? Right out that door, you reach out that door. That's where Michael Cohen sat right outside of Donald Trump's office as his personal business, whatever attorney for 12 years involved in everything Donald Trump was doing, fixing things for him, getting him out of trouble, taking care of all kinds of private stuff and public stuff and a lot of the private stuff, as we know now. I mean, how close does he have to be when Donald Trump's having an affair and he tells Michael Cohen, hey, you got to pay off this, babe, so she doesn't talk about our affair, so give her $130,000. That's the kind of relationship they had. Um, But now Michael Cohen, who is under investigation for... um, financial hanky-panky, if you will, and also charged now with lying for Congress, which he has pleaded guilty to, Uh, Michael Cohen sees the end of the road. He sees that all this time that he spent with Donald Trump is not helping him at all. In fact, basically, it's destroyed his career. So Michael Cohen has decided he's just going to man up, admit admit his crimes, serve his time, and then try to rebuild his career that's that, that that's he's not going to fight it because he knows he can't fight it but for donald trump that is total sellout so donald trump tweets yesterday about the man that just by the way last april as recently as last april donald trump was praising saying he's a good man michael cohen he didn't do anything wrong he would never betray me he's my friend he's my personal attorney He's a good man. Well, that was April. Now, hmm, not so much. So yesterday, he says, it's a long tweet, but it's 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 this is the president of the United States again. Here he is. Quote: Michael Cohen asks judge for no prison time. You mean he can do all of the terrible, all caps, terrible, unrelated to Trump, unrelated to Trump. <laughs> Wait a minute. He was lying about trying to get a Trump Tower in Moscow with Donald Trump's, not just blessing, but following Donald Trump's orders at the very same time that Donald Trump was lying about having any business deals in Moscow and running for president. And Donald Trump says this was unrelated to Trump. Okay, I continue. You mean he can do all the terrible unrelated to Trump things having to do with fraud, big loans, taxis, etc., and not serve a long prison term? He makes up stories to get a great and already, caps, reduced deal for himself, and get his wife and father-in-law, who has the money, off scot-free? He lied for this outcome and should, in my opinion, serve a full and complete sentence. I have to point out, by the way, throw the book at him. Says to, Donald Trump.
0: I have to point out when he when he talked about getting off scot free. This is again a Donald Trumpism that you know he wrote it himself. The words scot free are capitalized for some weird reason. Yes, there was a guy on Twitter whose name is Scott, Scott free, free who was like, "Hey, leave me the hell out of this." <laughs> <laughs>
1: It does look like he's talking about a person. Yeah, Scott. Scott Free, S, attorney at law. <laughs> Scott, a capital S and capital yeah. Free, right?
0: Like, it's a weird. I I, I don't understand Donald Trump's.
1: But also this idea about his father in law, who yeah. has all the money. Yeah, his father hasn't been charged with anything. No, I mean he's not trying to get his father in law out of jail. Michael Cohen is doing what a lot of people do. They see that they're going to be in prison. Which, by the way, doing what Paul Manafort originally did. Yeah, he sees he's going to serve maybe thirty years. He'd rather serve five. Okay, so yeah, you got me. I'm going to cooperate.
0: There's a there's a great scene in uh, Goodfellas where the Ray Liotta character as a young man gets caught doing something that's mob connected, and he goes to court and he doesn't tell on any of his friends, right? That's the big thing. He oh, doesn't, yeah. He doesn't rat oh. out anybody. And he goes to jail. It's like a quick, like, six-month sentence, right? He goes to jail, never tells on his friends, and when he gets out, they throw him a huge party, not to welcome him home, but to say, thanks for not ratting us all out. And that, I think, is a code that Donald Trump lives by, these, like, phony oh, is, wannabe mobsters.
1: This is total mafia talk. Absolutely. Total. Right. So that's the Michael Cohen thing. So what he's saying about Michael Cohen is because he cooperated, okay, He should have serve a full and complete sentence. Throw the book at him. All right, that's one tweet. Then he goes and starts tweeting about Roger Stone. Now, Roger Stone said on Sunday that he would never testify against Donald Trump because he said Donald Trump has done nothing wrong. He has no bad uh, information about Donald Trump. And if he said anything bad about Donald Trump, he would be lying. So, (laughs) Then Donald Trump turns to Roger Stone in this tweet, quote, I will never testify against Trump. This statement was recently made by Roger Stone, essentially stating that he will not be forced by a rogue and out of control prosecutor to make up lies and stories about President Trump. Nice to know that some people still have guts, (laughs) right? Now, that's not exactly Again, this is mafia stuff this, this is, is mafia total stuff. mafia stuff so what Donald Trump is saying if you cooperate with Robert Mueller you're a you're you're a creep right you deserve everything if you don't cooperate with Robert Mueller you got guts baby now let's put this in context too last week when Paul Manafort who had agreed to cooperate turns out his idea of cooperating was continue to lie to Robert Mueller, and Robert Mueller said basically, busted, you broke your plea deal, now whatever deal you made is no longer operative since you've been lying to us. Then, what did Donald Trump do? He came out, praised praised Paul Manafort, and suggested he might even pardon Paul Manafort, pardon him for not cooperating with Robert Mueller. So we got this series of tweets now by three people who are really right in the middle of the Mueller investigation. Paul Manafort, Michael Cohen, Roger Stone, one of whom is cooperating still, Michael Cohen also cooperating with the New York uh, federal attorney. And Donald Trump wants him to have to serve his full and complete sentence, two of them one already charged, who had agreed to cooperate but broke the deal, Paul Manafort. Roger Stone, not yet charged, but could be. And those two, Donald Trump is praising as heroes and guts and promising to pardon him. Here's my question. Okay, this is a federal criminal investigation conducted by the FBI, part of the Justice Department, into alleged criminal activity on the part of the United States. And the president is praising two of the key witnesses and attacking one of the others and telling, in a sense, anybody who's charged by Mueller not to cooperate with Robert Mueller? Don't tell me that is not obstruction of justice. Just as we pointed out yesterday that what Michael Cohen has reported that all these contacts that Donald Trump has had for decades with Russia about trying to get business deals going there, and particularly the negotiations he was having with Vladimir Putin while he was running for president and offering Vladimir Putin a $50 million penthouse condo in exchange for getting this 100-story Trump Tower built in Moscow. I mean, if that's not collusion with Russia, what is? And if this series of tweets about Paul Manafort and promises of clemency and a pardon for Paul Manafort and Roger, and Roger Stone and then attacking Michael Cohen for cooperating uh, with Robert Mueller. If that's not obstruction of justice, I don't know what is. It is just unbelievable. By the way, in light of that, CNN reports, and maybe this is what we're seeing, CNN reports that Robert Mueller is getting... An, by the way, let's remind ourselves, because we've said this so many times, none of us really know what Robert Mueller is doing, okay? <laughs> the famous thing, anybody who knows isn't saying, and anybody who does talk doesn't know, right? But um, there are several sources today, one of them being CNN's reporting that Robert Mueller is in the end game here, that he is closing in. He's been working from the outside in, from the outside, starting with these Russians that he named who were involved in the in the hacking and moving in 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 closer closer to Donald Trump uh, there are some court filings due today which may be delayed because of the Bush funeral but court filings today on um, expected on Michael Flynn and court filings on Friday expected on um, Paul Manafort Uh, and so we could see some, according to CNN, we could see the beginning of the end game of Robert Mueller soon. And they are saying it is not looking good for Donald Trump. There's more and more serious stuff coming out related to the president himself. Again, starting at the outside and moving in. We'll see how that shakes down during the week, but you get the sense, don't you? That Donald Trump senses Mueller's closing in too. Yeah, well, this you makes know? you
0: wonder, right, with the appointment of Matt Whitaker, who now is, is sort of a direct line between the Mueller investigation and And you Donald know he's Trump, telling
1: Trump everything that's going on. You have
0: to wonder if maybe Trump learned something that made him sort of pop off on Mueller, Cohen, Stone, everybody in the last couple of days. Because he's been very, shall we say, uh, touchy about the whole subject right, recently. Right, right.
1: You know, we mentioned recently that we haven't heard as much, certainly, as we used to. Uh, from Rudy Giuliani, uh, and you kind of wonder, well, he resurfaced yesterday uh, accusing Robert Mueller of trying to flip witnesses or offer deals to witnesses and everything. And um, Judge uh, Andrew Napolitano, Fox's legal uh, beagle there, um, whom we don't always agree with, but once in a while he gets he gets it right. You know? Every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think every once in a while his legal expertise wins out over his political bias being on Fox.
0: Rudy has been very effective at persuading the public that the indictment or impeachment of Donald Trump is untenable. That doesn't persuade a judge or a jury, but that does persuade uh, the public. And that's what Rudy's been spending his time doing. He knows that the techniques that he's blasting
1: are the same techniques he used when he was the chief federal prosecutor. Well, maybe that's why he's so good at blasting him. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because he knows how to do it. Uh, it makes a good point. That's, that's Rudy's job. Rudy's job is not to be a lawyer. Rudy's job is to be a good talker on television, and and to and and to try to pers- to shape public opinion that Mueller is doing everything wrong and Donald Trump has done nothing wrong. That's why Rudy was hired. Uh, but in terms of when he criticizes, uh, Napolitano's right. When he criticizes what Mueller is doing, it's exactly what Rudy did. What any prosecutor does but any federal prosecutor and, and a U.S. attorney does in that particular, in that particular role. Um, so um, um, one, one related story also is that uh, former FBI Director James Comey will be testifying uh, in front of Congress this week. Um, the Republicans wanted him to testify in private uh, so they could twist whatever he says and say, oh, this is what Comey told us. Comey really pushed to be able to testify in public. Uh, He finally compromised, and he will testify Friday in front of, again, a Republican-led committee. Um, The Republicans want one last shot at him before they lose control of the House. Um, And so the compromise is that he will testify privately, but the transcript will be released publicly after the Republicans— redact anything they want out of the transcript, So it's not a complete victory here for uh, James Comey. His attorney, David uh, Kelly, was on uh, MSNBC with Ari Melba last night uh, and pointed out that they've put some language in there to try to prevent what they expect is the Republicans will try to twist everything he says into making it bad uh, for Comey and good for Donald Trump. Do you expect any big news to come out of Friday?
2: I think if there's big news that comes out on Friday, it's because it would be that the Republicans have tried to go ahead and twist things and get ahead of the eight ball, and, and what we've done is is set up some conditions that interview to, to really try to prevent that.
1: Yeah, let's hope so. We'll see how that uh, we'll see how that plays out. You know, one story that we um, that happened over the weekend, and we did not get to yesterday, but it really and it's related to all of this. Uh, there was a very very important uh, vote in the United States Senate on Friday, last Friday, that didn't get as much attention as it should. By a very lopsided vote of 63 to 37, the Senate voted to bring to the floor a measure which would limit presidential war powers in Yemen. This war in Yemen is really, really bad news. It's a Saudi war, a, a brutal Saudi war Tens of thousands of civilians killed by Saudi bombing. And they're doing this bombing with weapons that they bought from the United States and with the help of the United States, the support of the United States. Uh, It's a brutal, brutal carnage there in Yemen. And the president has made this decision to back the Saudis in Yemen 100% without any congressional action, any congressional approval whatsoever. Um, But, you know, if you get a vote of 63 to 37... A lot of Republicans voted against Donald Trump. And that is on, on that Friday, the Friday after the midterm elections. You got to ask why. And it could be this is the first crack in the dam where Republicans are seeing that Donald Trump ain't as popular as he once was, that Donald Trump certainly didn't help the Republican Party that much in the midterm elections. They lost 40 seats in the House. That going into twenty twenty, Donald Trump's going to be not that much help. They can't just be lining up behind Donald Trump on every issue, and when you add that political reality to the reality that this is a war that is hard to defend anyway, anyhow, uh, the Senate put itself on the line. First time that there's been a break that I can remember between Senate Republicans and Donald Trump. In the last two years. Yeah, and that's a good point. Maybe maybe one other, but I can't honestly right now remember it when the Republicans in the Senate did. 63 to 37. Very, very significant. And I think, uh, again, it could, could signal um, that the bloom is off the rose a little bit when it comes to that. Um, by the way, uh, Peter, you're the sports expert here, but uh, I saw another story last night on... Uh, on CBS News about this whole NFL mess with uh, the latest. Here we go again. Kareem, Kareem Hunt. Right. Yeah. He, uh, that's the way. Here we go again. We this go is again. not first time we've been down this road. Right. No,
0: not at all. And if if you're not familiar with the story, Kareem Hunt is a running back, was a running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, who, who are very, very good this year. I don't watch the NFL, mm-hmm. but I, I've been able to keep up enough to know that they have this very exciting new quarterback, a guy by the name of Patrick Mahomes, and they had this very exciting, very talented running back by the name of Kareem Hunt uh, that have kept this. I mean, they are Super Bowl contenders this year. Uh, and TMZ uh, found a video, put a video out over the weekend, that shows him attacking a woman.
1: I mean, yeah, he just walks up to her and punches her, and then she falls, and he walks up and kicks her.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's it, very disturbing video. Uh, and I have to say, I I did not watch the video until this morning because we were going to talk about it, and it is as bad as it sounds.
1: Uh, yeah, it, it's a very bad. Yeah, video. Yeah, I've seen it two or three times. It's uh,
0: now here is the problem, of course. The NFL, the, uh, his team, the Chiefs, they knew about this back in February mm-hmm. of this year. Yeah. Uh, they interviewed him about it. They told the NFL back in February, and the NFL didn't do anything about it. So you know the the whole uh, case with with stories like this is, it, what did you know and when did you know it,
1: right? And, yeah, and what'd you do about it?
0: <laughs> right, right, right. But like in the NFL's case, it seems more and more it's sort of like, <clears throat> what did you care to know, and what did you feel compelled to do about it. And it the answer is they, they, they didn't care to know much, and they didn't feel compelled to do much at all. They they just sort of took his word for it. Okay, you say, he said he didn't do it. And they said, okay, case closed. Now, the NFL has the ability to do things like get the surveillance footage, which is what TMZ did, and put that out. And the surveillance footage is very, very clear. It shows what happened. Right. The NFL has that power. If they gave a damn, they could go get that.
1: But so they don't. So now they've launched their own investigation. Now. now, now, right after TMZ released the video, and you have to believe if the video did not come out, nothing would have. Nothing happened would have happened
0: at all. Absolutely nothing would have happened.
1: Right, right, and there. So their mo is okay. We know about this. Let's just sit on it and stay quiet. And hope that nothing comes out. And hope that nobody else finds out about it, right?
0: This is the same exact thing that happened with Ray Rice. Ray Rice. It's the same exact thing. This this story had been kicking around for a while. Uh, Ray Rice was asked about it. He denied it. The NFL didn't look into it. They had the power to look into it. They did not look into it, and and it was TMZ last time with Ray Rice.
1: Uh, CBS reported last night there have been twenty seven incidents of domestic abuse with NFL players since Ray Rice. Uh, our good friend Christine Brennan, uh, sports commentator, you see her a lot on CNN and USA Today, um, talked last night. First of all, about uh, over the weekend about uh, Kareem Hunt. What a real star he is.
2: Kareem Hunt was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I mean, he really just exploded in a very positive way on on the the NFL last year in his rookie season, and he's kept it going with Kansas City this year.
1: Uh, But she points out, uh, in this case, what really, really is telling, and and what uh, the trouble for him is they got the video.
2: If we're learning one thing from these stories, Ray Rice four years ago and now Kareem Hunt today, it is the incredible power of seeing it, seeing a man hit a woman.
1: Yeah, it is a very, very disturbing video.
0: And by the way, friend. she is 100% correct because right here in Washington, D.C., they ha- their running back, Adrian Peterson, he was accused of uh, violently beating his children. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's no video of that, so he's able to play football again. They just picked up Ruben Foster, who has been right. accused a couple times of violently beating women. Yeah. Uh, there's no video of that, so he's going to be just fine. Greg Hardy uh, played for the Carolina Panthers, played for the Dallas Cowboys. He was accused of violently beating women multiple times. There was no video of it, so he's going to be fine. You know, like that. That's just how the NFL operates.
1: Yeah. It's. So, it's so yeah. sick. And, uh, and just that the NFL, they could continue down this road and get away with it. And people still buy tickets, and there they go. Uh, take a quick break. When we come back, Leah Scarinum join, joins us from Inside Elections. When I want to take a look at not just what happened in the midterms, but where we go from here and what are some of the lessons we learned. And plus, we've got a little um, one congressional seat. Still undecided down in North Carolina. What's up with those charges of voter fraud? Quick break. We'll be right back with this Tuesday edition of the Bill Press Show.
0: Follow us on Twitter at BP
1: Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Here you go on a Tuesday, December 4. Hello, everybody. Great to have you with us today. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., as always. And Thank you so much for joining us, and you know, um, you can see that I am lucky this morning, those of you watching on television or online, those of you on the radio can probably feel it, uh, and that is wearing this beautiful scarf, you know, uh, let's be honest, you see a lot of people wearing scarves when it's cold weather, and some of them are the ugliest, got the ugliest sorry, scarves that you've ever seen. Uh <laughs> Uh, not this one. This is a handwoven, beautiful scarf by my wife, Carol Press. They are abs- each one, each one hand woven, each one a work of art. Uh, They're in rayon chenille, like this one, uh, beautiful blue with a little black uh, plaid there on it, uh, or in bamboo. The bamboo are kind of running out. So if you're interested in bamboo, and there it goes, so soft and beautiful as well. you got to hurry on that one. But anyhow, you can't do better than a beautiful handwoven scarf. For yourself or someone you love this holiday season, go to our website, BillPressShow.com, and check on, just follow the link to Carol Press Scarves. You can see all the designs, all the colors, all the options, and uh, do yourself a favor and someone you love a favor for this holiday, and then you will be wearing the most beautiful scarf you'll see anywhere. Uh, Joining us, Leah Skarinam is with Inside Elections with lots of political stuff to talk about still going on. Hi, Leah. nice to see you. Hi, good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Uh, And uh, we want to check up on comments here because we've been at it for a little while. Stirring up the dust, Peter?
0: Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. On your comments about Rudy Giuliani, Luna says, Rudy Giuliani is a genius. He influenced political opinion right into winning the House for
1: Democrats.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Our buddy Romaine. Thank you, Rudy. Yeah, our buddy Romaine in Chicago says, Bill, I still don't trust James Comey. No matter what, he knew that Trump was under investigation and never said anything. I don't care if he thought Hillary would win. Uh, What he did was irresponsible and disrespectful. History will judge him harshly. So still no fans of James Comey out there.
1: Uh, Yep. Amen, amen. Let's not make James Comey a saint. I still, he's one of the principal reasons Hillary did not win.
0: Yeah. Uh, Holly Tooker says, how can the Russia investigation end when Donald Trump keeps committing crimes? (laughs) That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, And we just finished talking about Kareem Hunt, the running back, former running back for the Kansas City Chiefs, who was fired after video surfaced of him being beating a woman. Uh, Mitch says, how many players, you talked about how there were 27 different instances of abuse since Ray Rice four years ago. Mitch says, how many players have done something like this that we still don't know about? And Robbie says, more importantly, there's all kinds of video evidence of Colin Kaepernick taking a knee, so of course he's not able to get back into the league. Yes, of course, we talked about how important the video is. Colin Kaepernick, Still not playing with the team. Last night, Mark Sanchez, who hadn't played since 2016, played for the Washington football team. If you have a comment on any topic at any time, you can find us on Twitter, at
1: BP Show. Yeah, who's the name of the guy that the Redskins picked up last week when the 49ers dropped him? Uh, Ruben Foster. Yeah, yeah. Ruben Foster, Foster got a job. Colin Kaepernick still can't get one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Says a lot. Thanks, Peter. So Leah, uh, you and I—we talked about so much uh, <laughs> during the midterms about the midterms. I haven't seen you since the midterms were over. I know you've been in once with Igor Volsky, but not with me. So, wh- what's your take overall on uh, the impact of the midterms? What happened?
3: Yeah, well, um, I think Democrats went to the polls in you know record numbers, and uh, but we also saw that it was a referendum on the president, probably more than it was a referendum on. Rudy Giuliani, in my opinion, but um, I think it was a Democratic wave. Democrats picked up at least 40 seats. We're still waiting to see what happens in North Carolina. And um, their uh, losses in the Senate were pretty minimal considering the map that Democrats were working with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't, don't think you can call it an unsuccessful night for Democrats because they lost North Dakota and Missouri is a different story. Florida is going to be something that we're watching and something that Democrats should be concerned about. But I think it was a good night overall for Democrats.
1: Right. Um, you know, so uh, the initial response, I think, was colored by the fact that the three rock stars, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, Beto O'Rourke and Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gillum, all lost. And so Democrats thought, oh, God, we had a horrible night. But as you point out, when you look at the House and you look at the governor's, and you look, at the state legislatures.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It was a really good night for Democrats.
3: Right, and Beto O'Rourke helps uh, congressional candidates down ballot. I mean, I, none of us at inside elections were surprised that Beto O'Rourke did not pull that off. That was not something we were expecting to see happen um, in Texas this year. But the fact that uh, so many districts there ended up being closer than expected, some of those kind of long shots— mm-hmm districts ended up being way closer. They managed to pick up two seats in Texas outright. There was a third that was really close. Um, And even in Georgia, we saw Georgia 6 flip. Um, I'm sure there was some top of the ticket motivation Mm -hmm. there. In Florida, we also saw some gains. So I think we saw some kind of top of the ballot momentum helping um, Democrats chip into the congressional Majority. Uh,
1: I know you were looking and following the runoff in Mississippi where Democrats thought Mm -hmm. maybe they could pick up that one seat. Again, that was a long shot. But Cindy Hyde-Smith sort of helped put it more in play by her uh, missteps toward the end of the campaign.
3: Right. I don't know if Democrats ever actually thought they were going to pick up that Mississippi seat. I think it was worth, for them, it it was worth a a minor investment at a point where – there were no other races on the map. There are no other Senate races. It's a good fundraising opportunity. Um, and the special election electorate is unpredictable enough where it wasn't impossible for a Democrat to win in mm-hmm. Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, we've seen Democrats win statewide in Mississippi recently with, um, I think, a, Attorney General's races um, or another state level race. So, I mean, it's it was worth, I think, a, a minor investment, but, I mean, a Democrat winning a federal race statewide in Mississippi is not something that I can see happening in the, in the near future, even with a special election. No. Um,
1: uh, I ran into um, our good friend Senator Chris Holland uh, election night, actually, the r- night of the runoff. Mm-hmm. And Chris Van Holland, sorry. Um, and um, he was saying that Mike Espy was a great candidate, mm-hmm. right, and they really did what they could there, but in the end it was Mississippi.
3: Right. And I mean, we'll be watching Mississippi again in 2019 for their governor's race. Mm -hmm. Um, And there I think Democrats do have a chance at the governorship (laughs) there because uh, we've seen that um, especially Southern Democrats in in red states are more likely to elect Democrats for state level office than federal office. So um, I'm sure it was helpful to kind of work up that base and put in some infrastructure so that for the 2019 gubernatorial race, Democrats could have a fighting chance.
1: Right. Uh, you mentioned uh, on the and the House wins. Uh, I'm particularly proud of the fact that California led the way, mm-hmm. uh, so that um, Orange County Entirely all, seven, flipped. all seven seats flipped. Yeah, uh, and one more in Kern County, and then one up in the Bay Area. So mm-hmm. by my count, it's like nine. Just see and. We're 50 with 53 members of Congress in from California it's now 47 Democrats and six Republicans right. which is maybe 40 I, I have to double check It's either 46 or 47 but 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 it it, it just totally uh, uh you know reverses what the situation was before and back when I was state chair basically it was 50 50 you know oh yeah
3: I mean I, th- we the, were...
1: Republican party almost doesn't exist in California today
3: and I think this is it... As we got closer to the election, it became clearer that those suburbs were more and more yeah, in jeopardy. But yeah. a year ago we would we were talking about Mimi Walters, you know, definitely being the the one to hang on. Um right. we thought maybe a few might flip. Um but it kind of regardless of candidate quality, these districts were just done with voting for um for Republicans. Though I mean we'll see what happens in in 2020. My inclination is that the suburbs, at least in this era of the Republican Party, are not going to come back anytime soon.
1: So in California, in Pennsylvania, in, even in Utah, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Republicans just got creamed in these House races. And uh, there's an interesting Jonathan Martin story. I'm sure you saw it in The New York Times yesterday saying um, that Republicans don't yet seem to have uh Taking stock of what happened, or have any idea, or even talking about it, you know. Um, and and Paul Ryan showed that when his comments at the end of last week about his comments about California was basically, oh, this was all fraud, right? That right. they they do something in California called ballot harvesting. Well, actually, we call that counting every vote. Right.
3: Know? Well, and it, that's not actually what they're doing is ballot harvesting. That's something that we can talk about in, in North Carolina. Yeah, but right. At that yeah, same, they were not
1: ballot harvesting. No, they're not. They, they, I they mean were, at least there's no were, evidence. No, yeah.
3: Um but at that same time. mean, talk, he
1: accused them of ballot harvesting exactly. is my point. Where in fact what happened in California was there were absentee ballots that came in, a lot of military ballots. It took a few days to count them.
3: Right. But at that same event where Paul Ryan made those comments, he also acknowledged that Democrats I mean that Republicans' biggest liability was the suburbs. Um, and if you talk to Republicans who are not necessarily public facing, I think most of them agree that this was a, a Democratic wave.
1: Yeah. But I mean, this the remember in 2012 when they did the big autopsy report, mm-hmm. what happened? How did we get shellacked here? The Republicans don't seem to accept what happened yet.
3: Well, I think they're relying on Trump's base. I mean, Trump's base did show up Um, in places where Trump's base was big enough to kind of sway the election. So um, if you're relying on that base, I think we'll see, 2020, I think we'll see massive turnout from from both sides of the aisle, and you'll continue to see Trump supporters turn out, but you'll also see this new Democratic coalition coming together of suburban voters, in addition to, you know, young and... Turnout
1: was huge across mm -hmm. the board, really, and I think the one deciding factor for Democrats in race after race after race. So what's going on in Car- where there is ballot harvesting, <laughs> evidence, evidence yeah. of it, it looks like, uh, is this one seat in North Carolina. So tell us what what they're investigating, Where what the status of it is right now.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of the big question. So North Carolina, there were three uh, Democratic targets there, um, and uh, they failed to pick up all three of those. Mm -hmm. That said, it was what they call a blue moon election. There were no statewide races on the ballot in North Carolina this year, um, which could have affected turnout. Democrats believe that um, they benefit from having high turnout elections. So that's kind of some of the backstory, plus the fact that uh, federal courts had actually thrown out the congressional map for Mm -hmm. North Carolina. Um, ahead of the election, but decided to go ahead and use it for 2018 because it would have been too much of a disturbance to um, re-implement a new map so close to the elections. So that's kind of the backstory. Um, the ninth District race includes parts of the Charlotte suburbs, and uh, Democrats had a star candidate there, Dan McCready. Um, a veteran um, who um, did not have a, a career in politics, who Democrats and Republicans Alike, agree that he was one of the, the strongest candidates in the country. Um, he ended up facing Mark Harris, not Robert Pittinger, because there was um, that upset in the Republican primary. Oh, that's
1: right. Yeah. Uh-huh.
3: Um, and it ended up being a really close race on a election night or a few nights after. Whenever the votes were all counted, it looked like Harris, the Republican, had won by about 900 votes. Um, since then, The uh, State Board of Elections in North Carolina has refused to certify the votes. At first, it was because of some quote-unquote unfortunate activities that were not Mm -hmm. specified. Since then, there have been reports um, and affidavits, actually, um, accusing um, someone of going door-to-door and uh, collecting absentee ballots that were not sealed. Um, There were also some discrepancies in the mail-in ballot that, uh, in both the general election and the primary election, so now North Carolina has to figure out if they're going to hold another election, if they're if these numbers, if these numbers mean that there was just kind of a, a weird race, or if there was actually some um, malfeasance going on behind the scenes.
1: Well, I've done a lot of GOTV activity, mm. and I've led a lot of GOTV campaigns. Never, never, never do I remember anything like what they what i read happened in north carolina yeah where they send people out door to door knock on the door do you have your were, were you planning on voting absentee do you have your ballot i'll take it for you i mean that is just outright voter fraud well, right d- and that, what you don't know what happened to that ballot was it even turned in was it properly marked Right. You know, uh, who knows? I mean, the the opportunity there for, for cheating and fraud is just unlimited.
3: Right. And I mean, to be clear, they don't know if it's just kind of a rogue operative or if it's connected to the campaign. There's no evidence at this point that Harris was actually definitely behind but, it.
1: But I thought there was evidence that his campaign manager might have directed this right. operation so, and also did so maybe even in the primary.
3: That's the big – that's the other – big mess is, are we going to have to have a primary election all over again? So part of the question is, once the Democrats have the House majority in January, do they seat Mark Harris or do they leave it as a a vacancy? Um, Do the courts get involved? Um, I have a feeling we'll have a a special election at some point. Um, But it
1: looks looks like the only way to resolve it is to have a whole brand new election, maybe primary and general That
3: seems to be kind of the consensus at this point, but I mean, there's still so much work to be done. The courts are still going to probably get involved, and we haven't heard a final decision from the North Carolina State Board of Elections yet.
1: Um, So I guess Donald Trump has come out and condemned uh, this voter fraud in North Carolina, hasn't he?
3: Um, if it happened maybe while I was waiting to come back here <laughs> did I miss something?
1: Did I miss it of all the tweets yesterday Peter did we miss the tweet the one where Donald Trump condemned the voter fraud in North uh, Carolina? Yeah, I'm sure
0: we must have missed it yeah
1: yeah there's
3: it a lot of news happening yeah, a lot of tweets right. to read
1: yeah we'll catch uh, catch up with that. Meanwhile, there are games being played also in Wisconsin of all places um, and there the Republicans who, lost the governorship, of course, with Tony Evers, the new governor, coming in. Republicans who control the legislature want to clip the wings of the governor's powers so that Tony Evers won't be able to do some of the, accomplish some of the things that he wants. Uh, here um, from uh, Madison yesterday, uh, there were a lot of protests around the Capitol against this uh, pending legislation, which I think passed yesterday, I believe, Um and yeah,
0: it's de- it now goes to uh, Scott Walker. Oh, Scott Walker who will, in a very, 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 very petty move, almost certainly sign this into law, just because he lost.
1: It'll be a tough decision for oh, him. Oh, I'm don't sure you think? he's going to I'm really sure. struggle to, with it. Yeah, exactly. One of the protesters in Madison, kind of indicating what this was all about.
4: It's going to make it much more difficult in trying to um, push forward his own agenda.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, but you know, this
0: reminds me of what this is. The, it's exactly what happened in North Carolina yeah. a couple of years ago.
3: Yep, in 2016. Yeah, and uh, when they elected Roy Cooper by mm-hmm. a pretty narrow margin, um, you saw there were majorities in the state house that were able to curb some of his power.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, but the I believe didn't. Been Won't the House, the Senate, rather in Wisconsin, be democratic in the new year? I've lost track of that
3: now. I'm not sure. I'm just wondering
1: whether Democrats could reverse this once they get power in the new year. They might have shifted to the the Republican
3: majority there. Um, I know that in North Carolina, actually, they've uh, gotten rid of both the supermajority in the state House and in the state Mm -hmm. Senate. Um, So that gives. North Carolina, a little bit more wiggle room there. But, but
1: so Wisconsin w- was a big pickup in terms of the governor's race. Mm-hmm. But overall, we f- we focused so much on the House and the Senate. Um, Democrats picked up seven governorships, important, some in, in some very important states and very important parts of the country. In Kansas. Yeah. Like
3: Democrats have won a statewide race in Kansas. And I mean, when. People point to, you know, Donald Trump saved these these senators or his he had a huge influence in, in the Senate races. I always point right back to Kansas because he did have a rally for Chris Kobach there. And yet the Democratic candidate, Laura Kelly, still won. I think there, that's kind of proof that there's a, a real limit to Trump's influence. Sure, it's it's sure. been overblown. Look at
1: Michigan as well.
3: Mm-hmm. Michigan as well. And um, I think we'll continue to see Michigan be kind of a battleground state into 2020. So um, I think it's a, a kind of preview of, of what Democrats' path to victory could look like. You know, well, the
0: thing about Kansas that's been so interesting to me uh, is Kansas has been a little bit ahead of the country in terms of Republican policies mm-hmm. by a couple of years, right? This whole, all the tax cut stuff that happened uh, here on a national level, they did that in Kansas, and it nearly ruined the state. And so I think there's Thank a lot you, of... Thank you, Sam Brownback. Sam Brownback. I think there's a lot of buyer's remorse uh, in Kansas, and I think we might start seeing that on a national level here pretty quickly.
3: Well, and that was one of the openings for the House um, in Kansas. Kansas, too, was competitive. Democrats didn't quite get there. But the opening was Sam Brownback kind of has left a, a stain on, on the Republican Party in, in Kansas, and that's affected now the governor's race and... We saw at least one house. We saw one house race go to Democrats there in the third district.
1: Uh, so you uh, and your colleagues at Inside Elections. I mean, this is your this is your gig, right? I mean, this is your work. My is whole job. At the political landscape. Uh, when you look at the political landscape in America today, uh, as a result of the midterms, it really has dramatically changed, hasn't it? Mean, think about Arizona now as a Democratic center. Nevada is a blue state. Yeah. Right. In I mean, terms of uh, elected officials, right?
3: I think so. I mean, I think we're seeing – I think we had
1: – And how close in Texas and how close in Florida.
3: Well, and the fact that there were gains in the congressional le- – and the House level yeah, and, yeah. in those places. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we've been seeing this realignment for a while. I know realignment can be a yeah, controversial right. word. But I think if you're going to use the word realignment, I think President Trump pre- uh, has accelerated it. Um, and so we're seeing it uh, – we're seeing, you know, white working class folks go further to the right and suburbs go closer to the left. And we're not sure who's going to get in, get caught in between those two trends in 2020 if it's going to benefit Democrats or Republicans.
1: Um, there was a story yesterday out of Vermont where Senator Bernie Sanders had a meeting of his brain trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Weaver, former uh, the campaign manager in 2016, came out and said the senator is definitely going to be running and he's going to run a bigger campaign and start out bigger uh, than he did in uh, 2016, of course, because he's now had that experience. Um, So uh, is Bernie Sanders the uh, Hillary Clinton of 2020, meaning he's the one that everybody's going to rally behind because he ran before and now we owe Bernie?
3: I think that comparing 2016 primary candidates to 2020 is going to be very difficult because Democrats in 2016, there were what three candidates at the debates? Four, I think, at the very first ones?
1: Five at the five. There was were, it five? One time there was five. Jim Webb. Don't forget Lincoln Chafee. Lincoln Chafee. Oh, I forgot about Lincoln, Lincoln Chafee. Lincoln Chafee. How could Chafee. you forget I about I can I'm so sorry, Lincoln <laughs> Chafee, if and, you're listening. And Bernie and Hillary and Martin O'Malley. Right.
3: Lincoln yes. Chafee. But I think this, Lincoln
1: Chafee lasted like one debate, right? Same with Jim Webb. I
3: think he must have. I think two, right? Okay.
1: Okay.
0: I don't know.
3: It was a long time ago. But this time we already see like three people. I think have officially announced at this point: Eric Swalwell, Richard Ojeda, um, and John Delaney. And John Delaney. Um, and if you look at the number of. Candidates 30. Are, it
1: was the 30 the last time I counted. It, total.
3: I got to 20 white men last time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this on the show. So
3: 30 in general <laughs> yeah, sounds right. got, Sounds about right.
1: So in other words.
3: I, I mean, what's going to be the margin separating the first place candidate from the second place candidate and the third place candidate? Like, is it going to be a 2% difference in Iowa that, you know, Launches one person to kind of the front of the race. I have no idea who's going to um, come ahead. Plus, there's going to be so many well-funded candidates. like oh, yeah, Joe Biden. You know, possibly Kamala Harris. You know, Bernie Sanders. If if all of them run, they're all going to have well-financed campaigns. Well, I thought you campaigns. meant
1: the, the, the people who can pay their own way, like Tom Steyer, Michael Bloomberg. That too. And, uh, So that and whoever the head of uh, Starbucks, I forget his name.
3: There's to be a lot of money.
1: Howard Schultz. I mean, Howard Schultz. Go. Yeah. So there you go. All right, 2020, we'll talk another yeah. time. Leah, that's it. So great to see you. Great Thanks to for see coming you too. in. Thanks. It's insideelections.com, correct? Yes. Insideelections.com. Niall Stanley joins us next from the hill as a friend of Bill this for the whole hour. Is the Bill Press Show? Hey friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Thing you need to fight
0: the Trump administration, this is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com
1: slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, we're not going to shut the government down this week, Republicans said yesterday. We're still going to do it. We're still going to wait a couple of weeks. We're going to wait till Christmas to shut it down. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you. Here we go. It is The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day, uh, things have a little slower this week. Uh, 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 the pause button and many fronts, on on many fronts rather, uh, in um, memory and honor of former President George H. W. Bush. Uh, but still, um, things go on, and Donald Trump hasn't stopped tweeting. That's for sure. Uh, so we'll bring you up to date on all the latest news here from Washington D.C., around the country, and around the globe. Uh, and look forward to getting your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, joining us here in studios, a friend of Bill for this hour, our good friend columnist for The Hill—I should say a fellow columnist for <laughs> The Hill, though he appears a little more frequently than I do. Nile Stanich. hello, Nile. It's good to see you, sir. Good to be here, Bill. How are you? Everything's good. Good. Yeah. And uh, these are interesting times, as always, right? You Absolutely, know. much to keep us occupied. So the big question is: I mean, would I mean we? It's just very quickly, because we have a whole hour here to talk. But, you know, Donald Trump was so busy campaigning right during the midterms and and running off and doing two or three rallies a day sometimes. Now that that's over,
2: what's he do? A lot, I mean, he... lot of time on his hands, a lot of time on his hands to attack Mr. Mueller and former. Uh, confederates like Michael Cohen, it would appear. So yeah. we, that seems to be one of the main focuses of his attention right now.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, uh, the, the, another tweet storm uh, yesterday. And I noticed on, in the entire schedule yesterday, he had one meeting, a meeting with uh, Ben Carson.
2: Yes, and I, Boy, belee- I believe today had- he's he's got the signing of one yeah, bill, which is closed to the press. And that's the right, only thing on the signing, public
1: schedule. Like one bill. So he's certainly not overworked, shall we say. Uh, Lots to talk about. Again, your comments, welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. Niall and I will get right into the news of the day with all of you. But first, this is the Full Court Press.
0: All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. You might remember it was about four months ago that Silent Sam was torn down. Silent Sam was the Confederate statue that sat... Uh, on the campus of University of North Carolina. Remember that? They tore it down. They took it down. Well, here's the thing. There is a new plan to put it back up. Mm -hmm. Not only are they going to put Silent Sam back up, they have proposed a new state-of-the-art security facility, which would cost $5.3 million to house it, plus $800,000 in annual operating costs. What? To put the statue inside to of this? put the statue inside of a facility to keep it protected from people who want to tear it down. Come on. I think you could call that the most expensive safe space that you could possibly create. Who's going to pay for this? Tuition
2: fees are going to pay for it. I was going to
0: say, yeah, it's going to be tuition fees. Uh, The school feels that strongly about putting up a Confederate monument that they are going to. Again, it's not just the $5.3 million to build the facility. It's the $800,000 in annual operating costs. So...
1: It seems to me if they don't think a Confederate statue is safe on a campus in North Carolina then maybe it shouldn't be there. Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, And we talk a lot about uh, politics here. We talk about 2020 and how it's going. Well, uh, CNN President Jeff Zucker said in a newly released interview that he is, quote, very interested in politics and is considering running for office one day. This was said on the... Jeff Zucker? Jeff Zucker. This was said on the Axe Files, the podcast by David Axelrod. He interviewed Jeff Zucker, and he says, yeah, you know, Who knows where I'll be in five years? I don't know for sure where I'll be, but he is very, very interested in politics. And that's all he said. Just putting it out there. I'll
1: tell you what. If he ran against Donald Trump, that would be, that that would get to be a pretty ugly fight. (laughs) Donald Trump has said some really nasty things about Jeff Zucker. And Jeff is the one who put him on television.
0: This is the Bill Press Show.
1: Well, this was supposed to be a kinder, gentler week in Washington, D.C., but uh, somebody forgot to tell Donald Trump about that. What do you say hello, everybody? If you saw his tweet storm yesterday, you know what I mean. It is the Bill Press Show on this Tuesday, December 4, 2018. Uh, Welcome to the program, and thank you for joining us as we reach out to you. Coast to coast, in fact, all around the globe, online, on the radio, and on television, with the Bill Press Show. Uh, lots and lots to talk about. You join the conversation at any time by sending sending us your comments on Twitter uh, at bp show. Uh, as we often mention, no better source for what's going on in Washington D.C., uh, at the Capitol, around the agencies, and down at the White House than the great newspaper for the Hill, for Capitol called The Hill, thehill.com. Uh, columnist for The Hill, Niall Stanage, here this hour as a friend of Bill. Nile. it's always good to see you. Welcome back. Good to be here. Uh, with uh, So with the president, it was quite a, quite a, a tweet storm yesterday, uh, poking at um, Michael Cohen, mm-hmm. who's standing out to defend Roger Stone on top of his defense of Paul Manafort last week. mm mm-hmm. um, Is he just obsessed by this Mueller investigation or do you get the feeling maybe he thinks that Mueller's closing in or getting close to the end game and he's got to reach out? What's going on?
2: I I think it's a combination of both. The Michael Cohen aspect of this is one of the most interesting elements because... When Cohen's offices and and hotel room was raided back in April, Trump reacted with uncharacteristic fury, even by his standards, to that. Yes.
1: Uh, And uh, defending Cohen. And defending Cohen. good guy. And what are they? They're treating him badly. Exactly.
2: All all of that stuff. And now it seems that uh, (laughs) since Michael Cohen has flipped, obviously Donald Trump's approach to Michael Cohen has flipped, but the, the fury or the anger seems just as intense, which I think, But gives, now directed against no, directed against Cohen rather than in support of him. But I do think that that speaks to uh, anxiety on Trump's part about what Michael Cohen knows or what he might say. Obviously, we already have these details about the proposed Trump Tower in Moscow. Turns out that negotiations for that were going on until June 2016, when Donald Trump was virtually assured of being the Republican uh, nominee. Mm-hmm as opposed to January 2016, which would have been before there were any contests there. Um, and Donald Trump has always been fearful of investigations into his finances and his personal business, which Michael Cohen, as his personal attorney of approximately 10 years standing, would be very well placed to talk about.
1: Right. Um, and so um, Donald Trump is really saying that because Michael Cohen is cooperating, Um, they should throw the book at him. That's right. He
2: should serve the full sentence
1: now. Full and complete sentence. Right. (laughs) On the other hand, he says, now, Paul Manafort, who made a a similar deal, but, according to Robert Mueller, broke the deal by continuing to lie. For Paul Manafort, he says... Well, you know, Paul, good for you for not cooperating, and right. how about a pardon if you're interested? I mean, right. He sort of threw out the pardon
2: suggestion. And, and meanwhile, as you alluded to in your first question, uh, saying that Roger Stone has guts by virtue yes. of his yes. refusal to, uh, as right. Trump sees it, bend the knee to Mueller and those other people say And one
1: not yet charged, but who has said that he would not testify uh, against, uh, against the president, right. Roger Stone, yeah, he's... And him for having guts. So here you have these three, two witnesses and one potential, whereas Donald Trump is saying to them, if you cooperate with Mueller, you're my friend. Or, or no, if you stand up to Mueller, refuse to cooperate, you're my friend, and I'll take care of you. If you cooperate with him, you get... You yeah. know, full full the,
2: sentence for you if you cooperate. Full sentence yeah. for you.
1: Um, why isn't that obstruction of justice?
2: <laughs> well, that's an excellent question. Wait, that you should ta- he... take up with lawyers that are better paid than I am. But a lot of people <laughs> think it is obstruction of justice. Well, and wh- clearly witness tampering is a charge where it comes to yeah. Stone, for example.
1: Well, right. When he is, in fact, the subject of the investigation.
2: Right. Well, right. This, is, this is the thing, that Donald Trump doesn't seem to see the distinction between one has freedom to talk about things that do not pertain to you, or one has, if you're president, you have the freedom to hire and fire certain people. That freedom does not extend to, for example, firing the FBI director because he's looking into things that you don't like or that might personally affect you. That then becomes what lawyers refer to as corrupt intent or corrupt motivation, and that's a problem.
1: So when when it comes down to uh really praising people for not not going along with the law and 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 with prosecutors um doesn't this remind you of a like a bad mafia movie? I mean
2: it it is. I mean I think it is quite uh ominous and and it's just it's very uh, barefaced, you know? It's there's no uh Hiding or there's no subterfuge involved in this, as you say. the The message is, uh, don't cooperate with Mueller, and I will take care of you. At least by implication, that's the message. And if you go over to the other side, we'll try to do our best to 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 do you in. Basically, that's uh, not not a great message for the President of the United States to be sending.
1: Uh in in to putting putting it in context. There's context. There are several. Uh, so. We don't know—not everything that was scheduled to happen this week is happening this week um, because of the timeout, if you will, mm-hmm. um, for the services uh, in memory of uh, former President uh, George H.W. Bush. But there were f- court filings expected today on um, Paul Manafort mm-hmm. and some court filings expected today on um, James Comey. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Um, no, it's Michael Flynn mm-hmm. today, I think, and Manafort on Friday. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, and so, some people in CNN is reporting this morning that all of this plus plus what we see with Michael Cohen and Paul Manafort that all of this indicates that Robert Mueller is nearing is about nearing the end of his investigation and mm-hmm. is about to release his report or drop the bomb, and then it's not going to be good for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. What are you hearing at the Hill?
2: It's clear that that is a possibility there's clearly an an intensification of Mueller's activities going on it will be very interesting to see what documents are filed in the Michael Flynn case if those do indeed mm-hmm. come out today because um, Mueller has specialized in in what lawyers talk about talk uh, or say as talking indictments in other words indictments that tell a story rather than merely right. are uh, you know, just specifically on the criminal charges. Each time he sort of takes another peel off the onion, you know. E- exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And we learn more. And we also are reminded that Muller has, at every step of the way, known more than people have thought he knew. There have been very few leaks from the Mueller side of all of this. Now, the flip side of all of that is the lack of leaks makes it difficult to really discern whether he's at the end of his investigation or not. He could try to wrap up some elements of it and, and continue others, but clearly there is this ramping up of activity, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing such an angry uh, reaction from the president right now.
1: Right, and the president, um, it, it could be, and one has, uh, has sort of reported that this is actually happening or is, or is suggested is happening that with the new acting attorney general Matt Whitaker who's very loyal to Donald Trump and pretty critical has been in the past of Robert Mueller that Trump may know exactly what's going on with Robert Mueller thanks to Mike Matt Whitaker so yeah, maybe yeah. again that is triggering some of his angry tweets
2: yeah and it certainly seems as if these angry tweets commenced a couple of days in advance before some of these things became public, like the Michael Cohen deal, for example, Mm -hmm. specifically with Mueller. Trump had seemed, frankly, quite unhinged for a couple of days before that, but we just put that down to his general propensity for anger and public (laughs) raging. Uh, And then that that, uh, moved into a different narrative, I think, when the Cohen stuff came out.
0: You know, I mean, this thing with Whitaker, though, I mean, it really is, it does feel like... Uh, the biggest test of our Constitution yet. Mm. In in two years, that's been filled with several tests for the Constitution. I mean, this guy was not confirmed. Mm -hmm. Senators never got a chance to look at him. He's got some very shady stuff in his background. Mm. I mean, extremely shady stuff in his background. And now you have someone who is a direct channel between the Robert Mueller investigation and the president of the United States who has said he is 100 percent loyal to Donald Trump and thinks that the Mueller investigation is a witch hunt?
2: Yep. And so
0: what what are we doing here? <laughs> What's going to happen next?
2: Yeah. But, and, and the other thing I think is Mueller's boss.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right. And, and and the thing is that it doesn't necessarily <laughs> have to be uh, Whitaker. <laughs> Ending the investigation because, A, that that investigation seems to be well advanced, and, B, that would create a clear constitutional crisis. But he could, as I understand it, circumscribe the areas that Mueller could look at or determine what's to be done with his report. He suggested that. He said the things the AG could do. Right. He could cut the funding. Right. He could
1: fire him. Right. He could curtail, as you say, Mm -hmm. limit the the extent of the investigation. I think we also have to just state for the record, too— that every time any of us speculate about what, what Robert Mueller is up to, mm-hmm. we're all just, in a sense, spinning wheels because Robert Mueller, nobody really knows what uh, Robert Mueller is up to. He's been so good yeah. at keeping a tight ship.
2: No, but, absolutely. And I think that point is worth emphasizing for sure. Because,
1: he's, as I say, he's the only man in Washington who can keep a secret.
2: Right. Yeah. Um,
1: I, I did want to touch on uh, yesterday, I uh, uh, I walked down to the Capitol to watch the arrival of, of the—, uh, the Bush family and the mm-hmm. Hearst bearing the body of uh, former president, former uh, President Bush. Um, the one thing that we do in this country um, extraordinarily well are uh, the honor our leaders and our uh, military leaders. Particularly the, the, the ceremony yesterday there um, was very very moving, um, and watching them carry that casket up the up the East steps. It was uh, the Speaker of the House spoke and the Vice President, Michael Pence, Mike Pence spoke about um, uh, President President Bush.
2: President Bush was a great leader who made a great difference in the life of this nation. But he was also
1: just a good man. Um, so I, I wanted to, 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 to play that just to point out that it's it, it's. We know when former president, I mean, when former first lady Barbara Bush died, um, Donald Trump was not invited to the funeral. Mm. Uh, apparently, this time there was a truce called between the Bush family and the White House because they knew the President Bush was was not going to last out the year, mm. right? Uh, and so, as I understand it, they got in touch with the White House and said, "Okay, we don't want any politics as part of this." the president will be welcome at the funeral he will not speak mm-hmm. but everybody just could sort of pretend we like each other for mm. a few days right
2: I, I, that's my understanding i mean it's clearly there is a lot of uh, enmity between the bush family and donald trump largely pertaining to jeb bush of course who was famously derided as low energy and treated very dismissively by trump whenever they were mm-hmm. contesting uh, the republican nomination but it's only relatively recently that president trump seemed to uh, mock the thousand points of light um, yes. Phrase yes. yes that was famously associated with the now uh, late um, president hw bush so you know th- that those tensions have clearly festered in, in, for quite a long time
1: but they agreed everybody agreed to just mm. sort of put it behind them mm. for a couple of days right exactly right uh, and um, the president was not there yesterday. When the uh, at the arrival of the coffin, c- the vice president was obviously. We just heard him and and the entire House and Senate, I believe, um, Ve- mm-hmm. members of the president's family. Um, but the president and the first lady came over last night about eight o'clock to to uh, to, to, to to pay their respects. So so in in light of that, uh, the re- Republicans in the House decided. This would be a bad week to shut down the government, Niall. So um, yes. they decided, we'll wait for two weeks to do so. <laughs>
2: we'll delay that a little bit. Out of, out of respect, we'll delay the closing of the government.
1: And you understand, you, you wonder why people are so cynical about politics, right? With...
2: <laughs> right. And I, and I saw a, a quote I, in our own paper um, this morning. I, I think it was John Cornyn over in the Senate saying, yeah, we don't really do anything unless there's a deadline. And then once there's a deadline, we can get something done. So the expectation is that in another two weeks that there will be some uh, last-minute deal done. But uh, nothing's guaranteed in Washington, as we know. And the president continues to make noise about his border wall funding, which I think we're going to talk about later.
1: Yeah, yeah, there was no, um, uh, nobody said something like, no, we decided that really shutting down the government is not a good idea. So Mm. we're just not, no, they said, no. We just don't want to do it this week out of honor, out of respect for President Bush. But we'll do it two weeks from now, right? Right, yeah. absolutely.
2: It's, we'll, we'll be back in the same place a couple of weeks. And, of on. course,
1: if this is the 14th, 4th, uh, rather, if you add 14 days, uh, you're talking about December 18th, mm-hmm. which is the week, right, then we get right into Christmas. That's what they need, mm-hmm. right? Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah. What, what they need is the, the
2: urgency to get away back to California or <laughs> Texas or wherever, and then we'll actually get some action.
1: All right. So um, what is with the – Donald Trump said came back from Argentina bragging about the fact that I made um, a big, great, huge mm. deal with China and averted a trade war. Now it doesn't seem it's quite as solid as that. Even Larry Kudlow yesterday, the president's chief economic advisor who was there at the table with him in Argentina in talking to reporters said – well, it's great, but we don't really know any specifics. Here he is. can't say with specificity, oh, yeah. but that's got to be part of the deal. We we know that. No, can't give any, uh, no specificity. And he says, no, this is what's going to happen. But a source, of course, that's just my assumption. Well, they're going to roll back their auto tariffs. I assume they're going to roll them all the way back. We, we, but that's an assumption. <laughs> oh, good.
2: Oh, good. Thanks, Larry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> What did we get out of this deal? Not
2: did at all. Know? Not at all clear, really. I mean, what we got out of it was the concession by President Trump, honestly, to delay the imposition of further tariffs on the Chinese. Right. But he expedited- said we're going to
1: go up to twenty-five percent January one. Right. He says now they're going to stay at ten. Right. Right.
2: Pending some outcome of these negotiations, which Bob Lighthizer, who's quite a hawkish figure on trade, is going to is going to lead, and it. The specifics of this, as was indicated by your clip of Larry Kudlow, uh, the specifics are as yet undetermined. Even the issue of uh, tariffs on uh, imported cars to China, Mm -hmm. which the president had specifically tweeted Mm -hmm. about, turns out not to be decided at all. Uh, Trump had tweeted that the Chinese had agreed to reduce and remove tariffs, which, of course, was confusing phrasing to start off with. But in that conference call, which uh, I was on and which you just played with Kudlow uh, yesterday, he said, well, I, I'm, I believe that commitment has been made, but then offered no specifics as to uh, when that would happen or how much the percentages of tariffs Uh, imposed by China on U.S. car imports would be reduced, if at all.
1: Well, it it reminds me so much of, A, Singapore Mm. with Kim Mm Jong-un when the president said, we agreed on all of this stuff Mm. and we haven't seen really any change. Mm. I mean, a change in the language that the two leaders speak about each other, but no change in North Korea's nuclear Mm -hmm. program so far as we know. It reminds me of Helsinki where the president said privately the, mm. Putin and I talked about all this stuff and all this agreements in Syria and all our, we and what really what really t- happened as a result of that and now the same thing with this so-called summit in Argentina mm. the president has a way of coming over and declaring victory right and, art,
2: art of the deal bill art of the deal i,
1: I, <laughs> I guess it, but
2: what's the deal right <laughs> It's a bit. Uh, what, what was that phrase? Where's, also, the beef? Also, where's the beef? Where's the beef? Exactly. That's yeah. exactly the one I was looking for. It's not at all clear where the where the beef is. You might be looking for your burger for quite a long time <laughs> here, looking for the beef, because those uh, specifics, those details, the timescales, none of that is clear at all. Cudlow even said during that call yesterday, "Oh, I might, I might be wrong, or I, I might be proven wrong over over time." So he was. Trying to give an optimistic reading, clearly in line with what the president wants him to do, and at the same time saying, yeah, this might not actually happen.
1: And what the Chinese said, mm. I mean, their summary of what was discussed and what was agreed upon is totally different from, at least certainly doesn't go anywhere near as far as President Trump did.
2: That's right. And that does include very different views on the specifics of it. For example, the US administration has been stressing that China is purportedly willing to address issues of intellectual property rights. The Chinese, to my knowledge, have not said that. At all, they—that is not something that they have committed to. They've talked, I think, in general terms about trade issues, but uh, intellectual property or IP is one of the big sticking points in U.S.-China trade relations, and there seems a clear difference in how both sides are talking about it.
1: Uh, I want to jump across the pond mm-hmm. uh, and ask you. Yeah. What's the latest with Brexit? I mean,
2: uh, how long do you have? Oh, Can right. I bring in some diagrams? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, my read of it is just, just, just. Uh, I know no more than what I read yeah, yeah. And, and watch on the news is that Theresa May's going to lose this battle and they may even have to have another
2: vote. It's very it's very difficult the math is very difficult for Theresa May. There is going to be a the big vote is a week from today in the House of Commons in uh, in London that basically is an up or down vote with minor amendments possible on a deal that May has recently negotiated. It appears that there are she's losing too many people on her own side to win that vote. That could then. Precip- How does it
1: work? Does she have to have both the House of Commons and the House of Lords? I don't know the uh, British n- system.
2: Well, at this stage, she at this stage, all the focus is on the House of Commons. Okay. The difficulty is that she needs, among other things, either her own party to be completely intact and unified, which it isn't, or support from a rather right-wing and extremely socially conservative party in my neck of the woods, the Democratic Unionist Party of Northern Ireland. Mm. And they're also uh, unhappy for uh, related reasons to do with uh, they don't want Northern Ireland to have different regulations than the rest of the United Kingdom.
1: So with that opposition, Mm. she could very well lose the vote next Monday. She could. If she loses the vote, then the deal that she negotiated Mm -hmm. is dead.
2: 90% certain to be,
1: yes. Okay. And then... Is Britain still in the EU or?
2: So no No, is the short answer.
1: No, because the Brexit vote still. The
2: Brexit vote still stands. Now, if she loses, to explain this briefly and without losing your listeners in the arcania of British politics, if she loses, the opposition Labour Party will call for a vote of no confidence in in her. In her. In her, which would then bring down the government. It seems unlikely it will be won because conservatives, Theresa May's party, have the majority in the House of Commons. So then the question is, does Labour try to call for a second referendum on Brexit yes, yes. with the support of, of dissident conservatives, right. essentially? Right. And then you have a whole other So
1: story. what is your read? If there were a second vote, mm-hmm. would the people of the UK come to their senses and stay and say... We were just kidding.
2: <laughs> I am not at all convinced that they would. The p- opinion. Really, poll- you think it would? I think the opinion polls right now w- suggest that they would that they would do what you're saying by a very narrow margin. The problem there is that the opinion polls said that last time, and not unlike the quote unquote hidden Trump voter here, there appeared to be a hidden pro Brexit voter in the UK. To my mind, you take that. Reality, And then you add to it the fact that a second referendum would allow pro-Brexit people to say, those elites, we've already given our verdict, now they're trying to undo our verdict, let's show them what's what. And that would be the danger. That's, I mean... There are other complications to this, including the fact that the Labour leader, Jeremy Corbyn, quite a hard left figure by British standards, is quite Eurosceptical himself. There is mm-hmm. Euroscepticism on the harder left as well as the right in Britain.
1: Right. So if you think Donald Trump has problems, maybe <laughs> Theresa May may have.
2: <laughs> Theresa May is in an almost impossible position, in all fairness to her, in my opinion.
1: She, yeah, she has yeah. Uh, a lot of problems uh, yeah. uh, of, of her own. Right. Um There was a report a a couple of weeks ago. Everybody was saying that Donald Trump had decided um, that um, there were some heads were going to roll right after the midterms. Jeff Sessions was certainly one of them, and that proved to be true. But the other one was Kirsten Nielsen, the head of DHS uh, Mm -hmm. and Department of Homeland Security. Uh, I read this morning, I think it was in The Hill I read this morning, that um, she seems to have saved her
2: job yes she seems to have saved her job by becoming even more hardline than she already was on immigration I think that's (laughs) imagine that Uh,
1: yeah right as if she was not tough enough already putting kids in cages right
2: it's it's a bit bit, uh, wishy-washy for the the standards of of this you know so it appears to be that her position is uh, strengthening or a bit more secure than it was but of course her fate is very closely tied to that of John Kelly the chief of staff she is a, a a long time, Kelly uh, ally for a long time. The speculation, as you know, Bill, from being down there is that, that the two of them will eventually go together at some mm-hmm. point. It's just when that point is reached is the question.
1: I'm surprised Kelly has lasted as long as he has. I, I am
2: also, yeah. And there have been a lot of times when it looked like he was on the way out either by his own volition or otherwise and he's still there.
1: It certainly seems it seems that his influence has certainly shrunk mm. and that both he and Trump are just kind of willing to go along, to get along, just about, you know, right now. that Yeah. yeah. You know, the,
2: although he, there, there was, as you'll remember, Trump was suggesting that Kelly will be around to 2020. Those guarantees seem to have dissipated <laughs> over time.
1: <laughs> Why would he want to be around till 2020? I don't know. As you indicated, uh, there's still a very unsettled situation down at the border as where Kirsten Nielsen comes into play again. Uh, we're going to take a quick break with Niall uh, and bring in Marianne Levine from Politico, Uh, to talk about uh, the border and beyond uh, coming up next year. So stay with us on The Bill Press Show. A quick break. We'll be right back.
0: This is
1: The Bill Press Show. And on a Tuesday, December 4, welcome back to The uh, Bill Press Show here. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill with all the news of the day. And uh, before we jump back into it, Uh, Just a quick word, because I know you're wondering why I look so good today. That's because I'm wearing a hand-woven scarf uh, by the real talent in the family, Carol Press. Uh, You, too, can look as good as I do with a hand-woven Carol Press scarf by just going to our website at BillPressShow.com. Click on the link to Carol Press Scarves. This is a rayon chenille. Beautiful, sort of um, reddish, not quite real red. I don't know what color would you call that.
2: I'm I'm very bad because, like most men, I only work in primary colors. So I don't know what color is that. I think
4: red's an accurate description.
0: Yeah, so. I'm gonna say it's red.
2: All right, okay, <laughs> red
1: with a little black into a two and a little purple here. Anyhow, beautiful colors, rayon chenille or bamboo, either one. Lots of colors and designs to choose from. Go to our website, billpressshow.com. It's a holiday season. So be good to yourself or someone you love and check out the Carol Press scarves. Now, Stanage here from The Hill as a friend of Bill uh, and from her good friends at Politico. Uh, Marianne Levine joins us. She covers the Senate for Politico. Um, Marianne, it's nice to see you. Thank thanks you for, for having me. Us. And Niall, uh, thanks for again for staying around. All was good. Um, the, um, boy, if Donald Trump didn't have the border... What would he talk about, right? <laughs> what, what what would he tweet about? Well, he's tweeted about Michael Cohen, as we talked about, and Roger Stone, yep. but so much of his attention is focused uh, on uh, the border, where we still have federal troops down there, Marianne, and they're uh, going to stay, right? I
4: think that's accurate. Yes.
1: There th- th- any plans? I saw that the new governor of California, governor-elect of California, Gavin Newsom, says he's going to bring the National Guard home from the border. Um, and uh, But I, I don't think Donald Trump or, J- or James Mattis have said anything. Have you seen now either? About I,
2: I, I haven't. I mean, I don't know what. Marianne may be more expert in these matters than, than I am, but I have seen no pledge in that regard. I think that they, even though they were accused of participating in a stunt, I don't believe there has been any announcement to right. remove that.
4: Yes, that's my understanding as well. So
1: the big question is, Uh, With um, the possibility of a government shutdown looming, um, whether Donald Trump is going to get the money that he wants to build his wall. He's been after it for two years, even with Republicans in charge of the House and the Senate. It hasn't happened. Uh, Is it likely to happen in the next uh, 26 days?
4: (laughs) It's hard to say. Um, Trump has said that he wants $5 billion for this border wall. Um, Senate Democrats are emphasizing that they're only going to be providing $1.6 billion for border security, which is what the Senate Appropriations Committee has already approved. And they claim that the $1.6 billion is bipartisan, or they say, which is accurate, that the $1.6 billion is already a bipartisan agreement that the Senate has agreed to. But Trump is insisting that he wants more than that. So we'll see what kind of agreement they come to um, by December 21st. But that is the big question as we see whether or not the shutdown actually happens.
1: Well, I'm confused for, for one thing, because um, wasn't it $25 billion that he wanted for the wall?
4: I think he's thrown out a lot of different numbers. <laughs> but the number right now is $5 billion that he's he's oh, he's saying.
1: Which would not build the whole wall. No, it's unclear.
4: And there's a lot of rhetorical games that are going uh, around on whether or not this is a wall, whether or not it's a fence. Democrats are saying that it's one point six billion dollars for border security. But if you actually look at the language in the appropriations bill that the money would fund a fence, which Republicans can call a wall and Democrats can say is a part of a border security measure. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of different definitions of what this wall could actually mean.
1: Well, I hate to be a stickler, but there is a difference between a fence and a wall, isn't there?
2: <laughs> well, you remember there were, at one stage Trump was talking about a see-through wall, right? So oh, you could so you could see, way. so you could make sure that people didn't throw drugs over. Or so you could see if people threw big bags of drugs over. I think was his point, right?
1: Yeah, but he also. Uh, I talked to a friend of mine who was a party of a group of labor leaders who met with the president ah. about the wall. Mm and he assured them that there was going to be a door <laughs> in the wall in, in the wall so that the people who picked grapes he said could come through <laughs> <laughs> no he told them they were stunned by this the friends and the, wall, the So the door. And then they would go back, and then they would lock the door. So <laughs> problem solved. You problem. seem to be skeptical, Bill. Why? Why is that? <laughs> problem solved? Uh, he's also talked, I think, at one time about having solar panels on top of the wall. I mean, his uh, every time he talks about the wall, it's like yeah. a little different. But it is there is a difference, I think, between a wall and a fa- so it sounds like he's just saying, I know I can't get the whole funding, so give me five billion. A year or something like that, maybe.
4: I think the idea is that it would be $5 billion over two years. But essentially, oh. and some Republicans are saying, you know, that's not that big of a difference, $1.6, or we're talking billions of dollars here. Yeah. But that is what he has said, is that he wants his $5 billion and that um, the Republicans are going to negotiate on that.
2: Well, go ahead. well, I was just going to say, uh, to Marianne's point, it has been a long time, at least to my knowledge, since he has claimed that Mexico is going to pay for the wall. He did continue to claim that for some time after being inaugurated, but that claim seems to have fallen away completely. I mean, ma- many people, of course, saw it as a fairly ridiculous claim in the first place, but he has stopped making it, I think. Right? I
1: haven't heard that in a year. Yeah. Anyhow. Have you? No. So it's just
4: seems off the table right now.
1: <laughs> off the table, right. Okay, so my question is, Ch- so Chuck Schumer is saying you got 1.6, that's our final offer, right? That's it.
4: And he's saying borders, on border security. On border security, Yeah, right. and he's saying the money's not for a wall, it's for a lot of border security measures that are bipartisan.
1: Why is Chuck Schumer, my question, why is Chuck Schumer giving them any money at all for the what Donald <laughs> Trump is going to claim is for his wall.
4: Schumer's essentially um, saying that this process has already been approved by um, the Appropriations Committee so he's essentially saying Let's look at the process that's already happened. This money, we've already agreed on this, and that's they've already agreed to this months ago. So that's where he is coming from. Now you have House Democrats who think that Schumer is caving and who um, essentially are, who have sent letters and put out statements saying that Schumer is um, – that they're concerned Schumer is going to cave on the border wall. But his office is essentially arguing that this is a misunderstanding and that he also is not for a wall.
1: But he, But he is – online I mean on the record as saying the 1.6 billion
4: he's calling it border security and that's right. that's what they're saying um, and that there's a difference between a fence and a wall is essentially what they're arguing
1: well all the Democrat I mean are the Democrats lined up to vote for for that much border security
4: um in interviews with the Senate Democrats they do seem to be to be in favor of this proposal. I talked to several um, on the Hill, and they said that th- there was no sense that they were going to back, at least on the Senate side, that they were going to back away from the $1.6 billion. And a lot of them emphasize that this is similar to Schumer's points, that this money is not just for the quote-unquote wall, it's for a lot of other measures. So on the, on the Senate side, it doesn't look like there's going to be much div- division. But on the House side, um, there does seem to be some concern among Democrats, who've also raised their concerns to um, Leader Pelosi about the terms, about whether or not there would be more money provided for this wall. That Trump has prioritized,
1: mm-hmm. and this need, they need sixty votes in the Senate, correct? Correct. This is not reconciliation.
4: No, they need sixty
1: votes. So they they're going to have to have what eight or nine Democrats, correct? Right, mm-hmm. depending what Mike, depending what Mike, Mike Pence is always standing by, but they have to get up to right. fifty nine,
2: and, and just to be. Um, clear and not to put you on the spot Marianne, but this is, the 1.6 billion that's just pertaining to the deal that would avert a government shutdown right, there's no suggestion at this point that because obviously the fate of the so-called dreamers DACA recipients is a big part of this picture too, but that won't be, that. that's not the Democrats aren't Promising the one point six billion in exchange for anything on DACA, it's purely a, the government shutdown issue, right?
4: That's correct. And I think there is this understanding that if there is, which gonna- is
1: another reason I think they're giving too much away. Mm. So they're going to give them one point six billion; they ought to get something for it, and what better than the Dreamers? Right. Sorry. Said, Marianne. Go ahead.
4: No, go ahead. I think that's that's accurate. That they, I think that there's a sense among Democrats that if there is more money that's given um, on this on, to come closer to the five billion dollars, which no one has said they'll do, but if there, if that does come to be an issue, that they would have to have very significant concessions on immigration.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, believe it or not, there are other issues, and you cover the Senate that are at play. In the Senate. Again, everything kind of on pause this week uh, because of the services uh, for former President Bush. But um, there is a move in the Senate, a bipartisan move in the Senate, to pass legislation which would protect Robert Mueller from Donald Trump, (laughs) right? Uh, With bipartisan support. Where is that right now?
4: I don't think it's going to be moving anytime soon in the Senate. Um, um, Senate Majority Leader McConnell was asked about it um, last week at a press conference, and he essentially said that he didn't really see the point of – this bill because he doesn't think that President Trump is going to fire um, special counsel Mueller so I don't think that the likelihood of that I don't think that we're gonna see that bill move forward but we have seen the effects of um, flake's proposal Senator Jeff flake who is who's helped introduce this proposal to protect um, with special counsel Chris
1: Coons of Delaware is correct. Re- right correct. yes
4: correct um, and they we've sort of seen this have an impact last week with the nomination of Thomas Farr who is a judge who, who is not or who is not to become a judge in North Carolina and who had come under scrutiny for his voting rights record. And Flake has emphasized that he is not going to move forward on judicial nominees until the Republicans bring up this bill to the floor. And he is actually... Um, held through on that promise and so one of the reasons why farr's nomination got blocked last week in addition to many other reasons is because Senator Flake has stood by this idea that he is not moving forward on judicial nominations until this until McConnell and GOP leadership brings this bill to the floor well
1: uh, now it seems to me that McConnell's uh, argument is a little I mean circular reasoning I guess I mean he's saying I don't see any need for this bill, because I don't think Donald Trump is going to fire Robert Mueller. Mm. The purpose of the bill mm. is to, if not prevent, at least make it more difficult for the president to fire Robert Mueller. Right. Right. So,
2: right. It, it is It is an odd uh, situation. You're saying, I. I'm not going to... Take out an insurance policy because I don't think anything bad is going to happen. Yeah. The purpose of taking out insurance policies is to cover yourself because you know there is the prospect. Very that well something put. Bad you don't wait
1: until your house is on fire or has burned down right. before you take out insurance,
2: right? Which is really where McConnell's logic seems to fall down, right? Be- yeah. Because of right. the reasons you you said, so that's where I think that that viewpoint becomes problematic. Republicans have quite f- regularly said some version of that argument, which is, well, it'll, it'll all be fine, essentially. But, uh, you know, it's not guaranteed that it will all be fine.
1: Well, you, so you talk to these people, Marianne. Is there any doubt in your mind or do you believe that were this bill brought up for a vote in the Senate? Just McConnell says, OK, we're going to debate it and we're going to vote. Would it pass?
4: Senator Flake and Senator Coons claim that they have the votes to pass this. So that's what they're saying. I haven't done my own whip count, but that seems. To, I mean, I, I can't imagine that the Democrats would oppose the bill, um, but you'd have to get um, a couple Republicans to sign on. But Coons and Flake do claim that they have the bills and that it would pass if it was brought to the, if it were brought to the floor.
1: I, I believe them. Uh, by the way, and I haven't done my whip count either, but it, it it's parallel to me, of so many members of Congress, Republican and Democrat, have told me. That were there an in, a standalone vote on the Dreamers mm. in the House mm. of Representatives, which Paul Ryan would never allow, that it would pass overwhelmingly. Mm. Bipartisan vote. Yeah. yeah votes it, are there, but- yeah, it, it, I mean,
2: yeah, it goes to a bigger question, which is the way the, the Senate or, or Congress in general operates, right, where there can be majorities for particular proposals and for tactical reasons, leaders don't want to put those proposals to a full vote. And that applies both in the case of protections for Mueller and, and DACA.
1: Uh, but this also hits, this is the sweet spot for Mitch McConnell, which is judges, right? I mean, if uh, Jeff Flake, by saying I won't vote for any judges unless you bring this bill up, is really hitting McConnell where it hurts the most.
4: Yeah, it creates a lot of a lot of difficulty. I mean, they can still get the judges through without Senator Flake if there's um, because you have Vice President Mike Pence who can break a tie, but he does have leverage, and we saw that with the far nomination last week, where if you lose, where these judges who are moving forward, they can't lose any Republican votes now because of Flake's stance on this.
1: Right. Uh, So I wanted to ask you about the far nomination because um, my understanding is. Yeah, Jeff Flake played a role in that. But the but the person who really the fatal blow was Tim Scott of uh, South Carolina. Correct. Right? Uh what were the circumstances there or so far as nomination is, is far from South Carolina?
4: Uh, North Carolina, actually. North Carolina. Um, yeah. So far, is um, he was nominated to become a district judge in North Carolina, and he had come under a lot of scrutiny uh, from Democrats, especially for his record on voting rights. He had worked on Senator Jesse Helms' campaigns in 1990. Helms was a known segregationist who opposed the Civil Rights Act, and he had en- Helms had engaged in a very controversial uh, campaign in 1990, where he was sending out po- where his campaign was sending out postcards cards to um, African American predominantly African American communities that seemed to imply that those voters couldn't vote. And there so there was a lot of controversy around this postcard campaign. A uh, far claimed to not have participated in it, but he was the lawyer at the time for the Helms campaign. So the Democrats raised this as a point against him. And and more recently he also defended a voting a voting rights or voting law in North Carolina that an appellate court struck down as targeting African-American voters with almost surgical precision. So he had come under a lot of scrutiny from Democrats on his record on voting rights. And, um, you know, all eyes were on um, Senator Tim Scott and whether or not he would vote for or whether he would vote for Farr's nomination. And it was really unclear up until the point up until the day the day of the vote. And he cited, what he cited as a big reason for his decision was a Justice Department memo um, that interviewed Far on the, on, the, um, on this postcard campaign um, in the 1990s that the Washington Post obtained. and he said upon reviewing the DOJ memo that convinced him um, in many ways to vote against the far nomination.
1: Uh, that was a, a rare moment now for a Republican senator to, um, to to break with the president and the majority leader on a judicial nomination.
2: Yes, significant. Uh, no, it was significant, absolutely. And and you know, uh, credit where it's due, if we can say that without being unduly uh, partisan. I mean, if people want to break uh, with their party line on matters that they do believe are key points of principle, then I think that's a good thing. We don't always see that in Washington. We often see people buckle to the party line. Um, I mean, we should probably note that Tim Scott is African-American and therefore Mm -hmm. would Mm -hmm. have obvious um, sensitivities towards issues of voting rights and and issues of past support for segregationists also. But, you know, fair play to him for doing doing his thing. Yeah. Um,
1: And... So one other break, um, which I thought was extremely significant, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, did not get as much attention as it should just with the press of news, is the vote last week on the war in Yemen, where uh, this has been sort of Donald Trump's secret war. I mean, it's a Saudi war, but we're supporting it. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're waging this very brutal war with our weapons and our planes and our bombs and I think we have some advisors, in I'm not really sure of that. But at any rate, we've certainly been supporting the Saudis in this war in Yemen. And the Senate last week voted 63 to 37 to bring to the floor a measure that would limit the president's war powers in Yemen, basically saying, I guess, that um, we in the Senate want to vote on that. Uh, and it... it now we'll come to the full floor for a vote, correct? I mean, can Mitch McConnell block this from coming for a vote?
4: I think it's unclear when it's going to come to vote. We um, spoke with Corker yesterday, and he told reporters that um, he thinks that debate on this will likely start Monday. Um, but there is, um, I think it remains to be seen, but I think there is a strong likelihood that this issue comes up in the lame duck session. Uh, CIA um, Director Gina Haspel is, will actually oh, be on yeah. the Hill um, today at 11 to meet with um, with a, a small group of senators to discuss their um, their findings um, on Saudi Arabia and um <laughs> That's,
1: that's really to do with the Khashoggi matter, which I'll, let's get back to in just a second.
4: But, yes, and that's also playing a big role in, um, in, in, yep. in this decision as sure. well.
1: Right. But, I mean, so now for for the Senate's Republicans, so, several of them, obviously, to get the mm. 63 votes, it wasn't just all Democrats to stand up and say, we don't like this war in Yemen. And, Mr. President, we don't think you should have sole authority to decide the, America's role in that
2: war. That's huge. Yeah, it is. And it's really interesting the fact that some Republicans, not all, but some, are shifting on Saudi Arabia generally. And, you know, this gets obviously to the Khashoggi matter. Yeah, right. But the fact that there are Republicans— That's right. This
1: vote may not—probably would not have happened without the Khashoggi thing.
2: I I don't think so, because everyone was quite happy to go along fairly quietly with fairly dodgy Saudi Arabian practices on human rights more broadly and continue American support for— for that, um, for that nation until the Khashoggi thing happened and it was so brutal and so visceral and had such an impact that I think that has shifted the ground somewhat. Mm-hmm. So does
1: this uh, uh, indicate maybe <clears throat> in light of the midterms a greater willingness on the part of Senate Republicans looking ahead of 2020 and thinking hmm Donald Trump might have helped in a couple of states but not across the board and certainly didn't help in the house that maybe we have to you know not not just that we don't like the war in Yemen but also we might have to show put a little distance between ourselves and Donald Trump. what are you hearing from Senate Repo- Republicans? <laughs>
4: I honestly haven't heard that much about 2020 playing a big role in in this um, in this resolution and in the move to pass. I really do think a lot of this has been sparked by um, by Khashoggi's murder, and I think that that really seems to be a big um, a big factor. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the next congress and how their relationship with trump plays out more generally um, as we move into 2020 with a lot more um, senate republicans up for re-election but,
1: but now the president's position still is uh he says well the cia says maybe he did it maybe he didn't and we which isn't actually what the cia says exactly <laughs> right, right? Mm. So the cia says they've got 11 intercepts yeah of the crown prince and the head of the th- gang of thugs that went to istanbul to carry out the murder 11 intercepts during
2: that period between yeah. the two of them. In the in the hours immediately before and after Khashoggi's murder. It seems unlikely that they were talking about the weather, right? Right. So, yeah. I, I mean, it, and the president has also... Oh, yeah, what's the weather in Istanbul, by the way? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Got any nice gifts to bring back to, to Riyadh. Yeah. Uh, but it's also interesting, the president at times has used terms like the CIA has a feeling... Uh, about uh, who uh, carried this out mm, no. doesn't actually have a feeling. It has a finding uh, that, uh, <laughs> no, you can't, th- they stipulate that that is not a 100% finding, but it's not just, you know, right. uh, I, I feel in my guts it's probably something to do with MBS. I mean, it's not just some random instinct. It is based on oh. facts like you've but just the alluded president to. president
1: seems to be determined to stick with MBS and with Saudi Arabia, which is making a lot of Republicans, particularly Republican senators, nervous. You must hear that from
4: yeah, I mean, I th- I have not, I have not actually heard that much on the on whether or not they're nervous on that end, but um, it does, but it does seem that like there is bipartisan support for. It does seem like that you're getting more people in recent months moving towards supporting this who didn't support the resolution before. So I think that there is some sense of moral outrage at what is happening and the desire to move forward on it.
1: Uh, that's what it takes, right? Imagine. Okay. That, that's mm. what it takes. But for 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 one of our allies to murder a, a top journalist who lived
2: in the United States and the president not to just condemn it, mm. um, and, and to be striking. And to be quite nakedly transactional in his rationale for not condemning it, right? Mm. To basically say, well, the Saudis have lots of business deals and keep the price of gas down. So there and, we go.
1: And they're going to buy lots of our weapons. Mm. Yeah. Ah. Um, uh, We'll leave it right there. Uh, now, Stanley, so much so good to see you. Happy oh. holidays if we don't see you again. Same and to good. you, Marianne. Thanks for coming in again. Thanks, for At politico.com and thehill.com, you can follow them and you can follow us, of course, by having a great day and then coming back to see us again tomorrow. This we'll be looking is for the you. Bill Press Show. Look
4: around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail.